from Psalm 139. You have searched me, Lord, and you know me. You know when I sit and when I rise. You perceive my thoughts from afar. You discern my going out and my lying down. You are familiar with all of my ways. Before a word is on my tongue, you, Lord, know it completely. You hem me in behind and before, and you lay your hand upon me. Such knowledge is too wonderful for me, too lofty for me to attain. Where can I go from your spirit? Where can I flee from your presence? If I go up to the heavens, you're there. If I make my bed in the depths, you're there. If I rise on the wings of the dawn, if I settle on the far side of the sea, even there your hand will guide me, your right hand will hold me fast. If I say, surely the darkness will hide me and the light become night around me, even the darkness will not be dark to you. The night will be shine like the day, the darkness is as light for you. For you created my inmost being, you knit me together in my mother's womb. I praise you because I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Your works are wonderful. I know that full well. My frame was not hidden from you when I was made in the secret place, when I was woven together in the depths of the earth. Your eyes saw my unformed body. All the days ordained for me were written in your book before one of them came to be. How precious to me are your thoughts, God. How vast is the sum of them. Were I to count them, they would outnumber the grains of the sand. When I'm awake, I am still with you. If only you, God, would slay the wicked. Away from me, you who are bloodthirsty. They speak of you with evil intent. Your adversaries misuse your name. Do I not hate those who hate you, Lord, and abhor those things that are in rebellion against you? I have nothing but hatred for them. I count them my enemies. Search me, God, and know my heart. Test me and know my anxious thoughts. See if there is any offensive way in me, and lead me in the way of everlasting. This is the reading of God's word. Thanks be to God. Uh, If you're wondering why this stool is up here, I was doing some yard work last weekend and I pulled something in my upper leg, my hip, so it tends to get a bit sore when I'm standing a long time. So if it seems to be okay now, but if it's bothering me, I'll probably be sitting on that stool. So if just if you know, if you wonder why that's up here and what's going on there. Just a few months after my family and I moved to the Hamilton area, a family that we knew in Kitchener were involved in an accident. Jeff and Sandra Moon and their two children, Thomas and Meredith. Thomas and Meredith were aged 10 and 7. They'd left their homes in Waterloo and were on Highway 401 heading east through Cambridge. And they had to break their car, uh, stop their car suddenly because the traffic ahead of them had slowed to a near stop. And the reason for that had been removed, but the burnt out shell of the truck was still on the other side of the road. And as typically happens, you know, even if there's nothing obstructing your lanes of traffic, people slow down to take a look and uh, rubberneck, you know, and all that, that sort of thing. And that's what was going on. The traffic was slowing down to, to see what was going on the other side, um, the burned out shell. And the Moon family had to brake suddenly. Jeff was driving. He braked suddenly and stopped. But behind them was a large 18-wheeler with a full load of steel. 
And he, from his vantage point, also looked over momentarily, and when he looked ahead, he saw that the traffic had stopped, come to a near stop. He slammed on the brakes, but was not able to stop the truck before he slammed into the back of their car. And what happened was that the rear part of the car was pushed into the back seat where the two children were, and they were killed instantly. The car veered sideways, and uh, Sandra, who was in the passenger side, sustained some head injuries. She had to spend a couple days in the hospital. Jeff, who was driving, uh, was all right. And we heard about the accident, and so we went back to uh, Waterloo for the visitation uh, just a few days before Christmas, giving our condolences. And, uh, of course, then the family, the parents buried the children uh, just a few days before, before the Christmas celebration. They were committed Christians. Their kids went, as I said, their kids went to the same Christian school that ours did. Sandra was actually chair of the board of the Christian school. And Jeff was very involved in helping out at school. Thomas and Meredith were their only children. And all of a sudden, in one moment, their children are gone. And especially if you're a parent, you can only imagine what that's like. You know, you think of what, what would happen if suddenly our children were gone. And my wife and I talked and wondered what it would be like and could we trust the Lord? Could we continue? And there are difficult things, difficult things, maybe not this tragic, that Christians face all the time. You know, we like to move into the future, the days ahead, with a sense that God is with us, a sense of optimism, a sense that God will sustain us, but... We know that tragic things like this happen to Christians. Perhaps some of you have experienced a tragedy somewhat like this in your life, where a loved one went, you know, faced an untimely death, maybe when their life was just beginning. And it raises questions, I think, for us as Christians. Where is God in this? Is he watching over us? Is he directing our lives? What kind of confidence can we have as we move into the future? Let me suggest to you that this psalm, a well-known psalm, probably like Psalm 23 and some others, it's one of these well-known psalms, a loved psalm, and I, I love this psalm. I think this psalm speaks to that question for us. And not only for us, but it speaks about the message that we have for the people around us in a world where often people feel alone or wonder about the future and feel a great sense of anxiety and uncertainty. I want to suggest to you that this psalm tells us that because God is at work in the lives of his people, he's really at work in all the world, but especially in the lives of his people, you could think of him as the director, the divine director of our lives. We can move into the future with confidence and trust that no matter ha what happens, He's with us, and he will accomplish his purposes for us. And the psalm speaks about God knowing us through and through, everything about us, all the places we are, all the aspects of our lives. I'm going to unfold this. You know, the psalm is an ancient text, probably 3,000 years old at least. And sometimes you wonder, well, how can this ancient text have something to say to us? It's written by David. 
And David had come to understand certain things about his life. The ups and downs of his life, being on the run, being king, falling into serious sin. And yet he had seen that God was with us. And though our circumstances may be different from David's, the God that he speaks of is the same God. And what he says about God in relationship to his people is also true for us today. So commentators tend to divide this psalm up into four sections, so that makes a nice four-point sermon. Not three-point, I'm breaking some sermonic law here. Not a three-point sermon, but a four-point sermon, and that's that what, what I will unfold for you. Four-point sermon, four points as we see unfolded in this psalm. The first part of the psalm, verses 1 to 6, speaks of God knowing all the different parts of our lives. Begins by saying, O Lord, you have searched me and you know me. You know everything there is about me. When I rise, how I am throughout the day, words before I speak them, my actions before I do them. You know me when I lie down at night in bed, perhaps with thoughts of the day or worries swirling through my head. Polls done in Canada tell us that the majority of Canadians still believe in God, but for most of them, he's a very distant God, really not very involved in their lives. Maybe you cry out to him sometimes when you're in a real fix. And probably they think of God as sort of winding up the universe and it kind of runs on its own, what the Eastern religions call this karma. You know, you get what you deserve. You do these things, this is what happens, if they're good or if they're bad. But generally, their God is a very distant God and not one that has much to do with their lives. But this psalm says that God is very close to his people. He searches us. He knows us. Our lives, in that sense, are open books to God. He knows our worries. He knows our thoughts. He knows our aspirations and our hopes, our desires, our fears and anxieties. There's no secrets from God. I'm reminded of the joke of uh, two university students who, um, just before exam week, they decided to visit some friends in a nearby town and had a party, you know, and um, not Redeemer students, of course, but they had a party, they drank too much, and, you know, they, they stayed up too late. Next morning they were hungover. It was Sunday. And uh, they didn't get back till quite late, Sunday, and they had an exam. Monday morning, it was a math exam. So they went into the teacher and they, they said, well, you know, we visited our friends who we were coming back yesterday and uh, we had a flat tire and, and the, the spare was flat as well. So we had to phone and get the tow truck to come and uh, he, he couldn't get the tire uh, filled with air, had to haul it in and find a replacement. And by the time we got back, it was late last night. So we really didn't have time to study. Would you give us uh, a delay in the exam. So he said, sure, come back tomorrow and I'll give you the exam. So he welcomed them back and put them in separate rooms. And the first few questions were some math questions and then the next question, which was worth 90% of the exam was, which tire on the car went flat? <laughs> Remember, they're in separate rooms. Uh, he was one step ahead of them, right? He anticipated uh, that this was perhaps a bit of a story. 
Well, God knows everything about us. We can't keep any secrets from God, and we don't, he doesn't have to test us in that way to find out what it is uh, that's on our minds or on our hearts. And the interesting thing about this is that, you know, if, if somebody knows everything about you, you can find it confining or controlling. And yet David doesn't. He says here, you know, everything there is to, to about me, such knowledge, verse 6, such knowledge is too wonderful for me, too lofty for me to attain. It's not something where he says, leave me alone. I wish you didn't know so much about me. You know everything there is about me, and I'm overwhelmed in a wonderful way by that. And David didn't know the fullness of redemption that way, the, the way we do. But as we know that we are children of God through Jesus Christ, secure in that foundation, the fact that God knows everything about us, maybe our secret sins, uh, maybe our worries and our fears, our desires that maybe we're not too proud of, we don't have to fear. God has embraced us in Jesus Christ. We live not under law, rejection if we fail or don't have the right thoughts or desires or actions. We live under the law of grace, and God embraces us in Jesus Christ. That's not to tolerate, that's to say that he, that he wants us to continue in that. We, we don't live in fear of our God who will reject us. It's a wonderful knowledge. We still struggle with things in our lives. I remember uh, when the kids were young, we'd get them Christmas presents uh, that had sometimes three fearful words on the package. Some assembly required. And as a parent, you know, you have to put these things together. And always made me nervous when there was extra parts. Did I miss something? Is the thing going to fall apart? Is it not going to work? Sometimes our lives feel that way. We don't know how the parts fit together. We don't know how, how it, it fits. And yet God knows all the different parts of our lives. He knows how they work together. And we can rest in that. God knows all the different parts of our lives. The, the next section, verses 7 through 12, tells us that God knows and governs all the different places in our lives. Begins by saying, well, where can I go from your spirit? And where can I flee from your presence? Can I go to the highest mountain, the top of Mount Everest? Could I get in one of these new super submarines and go to the, the deepest depths of the ocean? The desert, you know, the tropical jungle. The factory, out in the field, the assembly line, the cell in a jail where a Christian may be imprisoned for their faith in places around the world, a remote room in a nursing home. Where can I be from your presence? And David says, I'm never from your presence. I'm never away from you. There's never a place where your presence, through your spirit. Not only do you know everything about me, but you know where I am. I'm never lost to you. We're always under God's gracious care and sovereign power. And I suppose if we want to do things in secret so that other people don't know, this would be unsettling. But again, David finds this very comforting. He says in verse 10, wherever I am, where from a human perspective may be some remote place, some uninhabited place, 
where people might, might not find me. He says, wherever I am, there your hand will guide me, your right hand will hold me fast. Have you ever been in a crowd with a small child, a child that can walk? You want to hold that child fast. Uh, we went a few times uh, with, when our boys were small to Ottawa. We had friends, actually, that worked for um, one of the government officials. And uh, we would go there on the July 4th or July 1st, uh, long weekend, you know, see the fireworks and all the entertainment and all that sort of thing. And uh, crowds are enormous. The crowds are overwhelming. And what we would do, uh, my wife would hold one son in her hand and I would hold the other son. You'd hold the child fast because you don't want to lose that child in a crowd. And you hold it with your strong hand, your right hand. If you're left-handed, I suppose you'd hold the child with your left hand. But that's the image that's given here, that God's right hand holds us fast. Wherever we are, God never lets go of us. He holds us fast and he guides us. We're never on our own. His spirit is with us as the comforter, as the guide, as the one who shows us the way. God knows all the different places of our lives, and he governs us in those places. The third section of the psalm, which is, which are verses 13 to 16, says that God knows all the different features of our lives. Verse 13, you created my inmost being. You knit me together in my mother's womb. You knew me even when I was being formed in the womb of my mother. You know, there's often things about ourselves that we like and things about ourselves that we don't like. It might be our physical features, might be our personality traits, something about us that we don't like. And we wish they were different. And yet, God forms us, the word tells us, with our unique and distinctive physical characteristics and personality. It doesn't mean that sin and the fallenness of this world hasn't affected us. Of course it has. But God is still with us. We are fearfully and wonderfully made. I remember my colleague at Redeemer, he had a son when he was young who had trouble in school, in the first few grades of school, and he was really down on himself. And they found through testing that he had a mild form of dyslexia. And uh, therefore, they put in certain corrective measures and helped him with that, and he started doing better. And what his father told him, as the boy was down on himself and he was struggling with this, is he said, you know, God made you, and God doesn't make junk. He doesn't make stuff that's just thrown away. You're special to God. And that lifted the boy's spirit. He walked around the next few days saying, God made me, and God doesn't make junk. I'm not junk, right? And that's the way it is with us, even with the things about us that we wish were different. Even if there's patterns in us that are sinful, and we struggle with overcoming them. God is with us in those traits to shape us to be more like Christ. And it goes on to say that God has determined the span of our lives. All the days ordained for me were written in your book, before one of them came to be. And it's not fatalism. It's not, well, 
You know, what did the Calvinist say after he fell down the stairs? Well, thank goodness that's behind me. You know, it's kind of preordained. You have to go through what God has preordained. It's not that fatalistic sense. But God knows all the joys and struggles of our lives. He knows the things we go through. And it's easy to forget when we're struggling in frustrating situations, when we feel like we're spinning our wheels. And I've been in those situations. I don't see how this fits in with your plan in my life, Lord. This doesn't seem to be doing anything for me or the people around me. And I've cried out to God sometimes in those situations. Or why this loss of job? Or why this disappointment? Or why the loss of a loved one? Or a setback in my life? Why? Why am I not where I think I should be at this stage of my life? And often in retrospect, we see those places where I think I've been spinning my wheels is precisely where God has been at work in me to shape my character. And he wants me, in a sense, to put those things aside, to be in a place where I'm not always focused on outward activities to deal with issues in me. But I can look back on some of the things I, I, don't, I still don't understand. I still don't understand why I went through those things. And you probably have those same experiences in your life, but they're part of God's working in us. And to put it another way, it's not always about me, but sometimes what God does in my life has broader ramifications for people around me. And certainly, even in those difficult and disappointing situations, I can be a witness for being one who trusts in God. The best Christians can forget those, and we need the encouragement of God's word and the work of the Spirit and the encouragement of brothers and sisters to remind us of that. When you are responsible for the well-being of other people, you are often extra attentive to their situation. You oversee their activities. You listen to their cries. Mothers with newborns often develop that skill. Fathers can too, so I want to be you know, uh, equal here. Fathers can develop that too, but mothers often can because the child can't communicate. And sometimes it's a cry because they're hungry or they're frightened or they're in pain. You know, and you can be very attentive to that. And I even think when our children were young and they were sick, you know, any little cry or something, would wake you up at night and you'd go and see. That's something like God's attentiveness to us. He is attentive to our cries. And when you read the Psalms, you see that the Psalms are full of cries to God, cries out to God in difficult struggles. And God is attentive to his people. David knew this. He was a shepherd looking after sheep. He was a leader of soldiers, providing military leadership for his men. He was a father. He was a king. He knew what it was to care for people under his authority and under his supervision. God knows about all the different characteristics of our lives, and he is at work in them to shape us, but also to further the purposes of his kingdom. And so the final part of the psalm, verses 17 on, really speaks of our resolve. There's some tough things in there that I'm not going to skip over. But 
I think in the final section, what we find there is that the Spirit through David is telling us that our resolve should be to give ourselves in the service of God's kingdom. How precious to me are your thoughts, O God. How vast is the sum of them. Well, what are the thoughts of God? Well, the thoughts of God are revealed to us in his word, but they're revealed most fully in the fulfillment of redemption in Jesus Christ, as outlined in the New Testament. God's purposes are to work redemption, to draw people to himself, to work the life of Christ in them, and through us to be ambassadors of redemption and life to the people around us. And so the preciousness of God's thoughts, not fully revealed to David, but certainly fully revealed to us in the coming of Christ and through the New Testament, are his redemptive purposes that we are now part of as his children and that we participate in as part of the church of Jesus Christ. And that has to be front and center. Given the way you look out for my life, the parts and places and characteristics of my life, the way you, given the way you are involved in my life, enable me to put your kingdom purposes fulfilled in Jesus Christ as central and to delight in those and to live out of those. Now, from verse 19 on, there's these hard words that he says, strong words, where he asks God to slay the wicked. Get away from me, you bloodthirsty men. Do I not hate those who hate you and abhor those who rise up against you? I have nothing but hatred for them. Now, I thought Jesus said you're supposed to love your enemies. What's this all about? I hate these people who hate you. Now, I think there's a bit of hyperbole, a bit of some exaggeration here, which we find a lot in poetic literature and the Psalms or poetry, of course. But I think what he's getting at here is, Lord, I want your purposes, your thoughts to be so central in my life that I will not in any way participate in the purposes of those who don't have that, who are opposed to that, are heading in the wrong direction. I want to associate with people who are committed to your purposes. Those who align themselves with you, God, I want to align myself with. Those who are enemies of you, I don't want to associate with. I don't want to have anything to do with them. I would say, from a New Testament perspective, thinking of the words of Jesus, love your enemies, you know, our desire is for their salvation. Our desire is that they turn from that orientation in their lives and come to know God through Jesus Christ. But our focus, and so we maintain relations with them as far as that is our goal, but we won't join with them in their goals or activities, in their activities and even in their attitudes, right? So I think that's what he's getting at here. He's, it's not undermining what Jesus says in terms of loving your enemies, but I won't identify with them. I won't engage in their activities. I won't make their goals my goals. I will make sure that, that my orientation is distinct from theirs, and I will associate with your people to further your purposes. And I think that's highlighted in the last two verses, because notice how he ends the psalm. Now, first of all, verse 23, there's something interesting about that. Looks like the same as the first verse, but it's a little bit different. Search me, O God, and know my heart. Test me and know my anxious thoughts. 
And the way he begins the psalm, he says, well, Lord, whether I like it or not, you search me and you know me. You're all-knowing and all-powerful. You know everything there is to know about me, whether I like it or not. But here he says, God, I want you, I want you to come and to search me. I want you to know my heart and by implication, reveal that to me. Why? For two reasons. The negative is, point out my anxious, my anxious thoughts and the offensive way that is within me. Uh, we're all works in progress. And the work of the Holy Spirit to form the life of Christ in us is always a process of making us aware of, of things in us that are not good. They're not glorifying to God. Patterns of sin, deep-seated attitudes, heart attitudes that God wants to change. And we're not doing that on our own. We're doing it through the power of the Holy Spirit as he reveals that to us, often in and through the people of God. Show me ways that I'm not fully aligned with your kingdom purposes, that I become an obstacle to that, so that I may better be of service to you. Notice how it lends. And lead me in the way everlasting. Show the negative in me so that I may participate more fully in your purposes in the way everlasting. Open my conscience. Open my heart to God, even if it's like overturning, you know, turning over that stone and there's things under there, creepy crawly things under there, things in my life I don't want to see. Because sometimes that's necessary for me to be better aligned with your purposes. Show how, me how I can better live in ways that serve you and your kingdom. Expose the good. Show me the good, because you've gifted me in many ways. You know, there's many things about me that you can use in positive ways. Show me that. Promote that. Encourage that. Help me to build on the strengths that you have given me. Because God is the overseer, the divine director of our lives, we can go into the future with hope and encouragement that he can use us for his purposes. And it's a powerful message to the people around us because I think a lot of people around us, even as we might struggle with it, but at least we have the encouragement of the Spirit, the Word, God's people as we gather. A lot of people struggle with sort of the meaninglessness of life and the sense that their lives don't matter. We know that there's an epidemic of loneliness in people around us, not just elderly people, but a lot of people are alone. You ever go downtown Hamilton? So I did once a prayer walk with uh, one of the elders in our church, and there's a lot of these guys that are living by themselves in one-room flats in a lot of these uh, problem neighborhoods. It's just people who are alone, been abused and mistreated and just don't trust anybody. And the, the powerful message is that they're not alone. That's what the psalm says. And we need to be ambassadors of that message. You're not alone. There's a God who knows your, about your life. He knows you in that one room flat. He knows your struggles. He knows your past. He knows things about yourself that you try to drown in alcohol or drugs or whatever that may be. He knows those things. And he can lead you in the way everlasting. That's the call to us as God's people, that we deeply embrace and believe this. And we live out of that reality so that the people around may have hope to be drawn 
the living and triune God who wants to bring them into his family so they live out of that hope as well. You join me in prayer, please. Let's pray. Lord God, this is a beautiful word from you through your servant David. And we pray that this may burrow deep into our hearts, that we may live out of this reality and be, be ever more committed to walking in the way everlasting. To know that we're not alone, to know that we live in your presence each day. And you know, you know everything externally and internally about us. And because of Jesus Christ, we can invite you to do that. We don't have to be fearful to invite you in the way David does at the end of the psalm. Help us to live out of that and to be ambassadors of that. That's a good word for the people around us in our society. Help us to be proclaiming the good news that is found in Jesus Christ, that there is a God who is the divine director of all lives and will lead them in the way everlasting. We pray in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen.